Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feed for Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. My special guest today is a very close friend of mine, Dr. Richard Kobach, Richie, we call him. He's from Long Island. He practices in Syosset, Syosset Dental. He's been a fee-for-service practice since the day he's been in private practice. Talks a little bit about how he got there, what was his origins and some of the influences along the way, and where he's at today and some of the advice he shares freely with all of our dental community. So sit back, enjoy, and listen. If you like it, hit subscribe, share it with your friends, appreciate it. If you don't, please send me a note. I appreciate any and all feedback. Today's show, as always, is sponsored by Kettenbach. New from Kettenbach. Imagine one product for every cementation protocol. Well, it's now available. It's called Vesalis Semcore. It's a hydrophilic cement and a hydrophobic core buildup. Put the two together, you have Vesalis Semcore. It's compatible with all substrates and all restorative designs. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbox all-in-one adhesive cement and core buildup. Vesalis Semcore. Call 877-532-2123 or visit Kettenbach. K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H dash D-E-N-T dot U-S. Have a great day, folks. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet. While others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Tonight's a special night, at least for me. I get to talk to a really good friend of mine, Dr. Richard Kobach. Richie and I go back to our days at Buffalo when we were housemates, classmates, and, and really best of friends all those years. So give me a little background. Let me give you a little background on Richie. Richie's a graduate, undergrad of NYU. He got a BA in 1985 and graduated with SUNY Buffalo with me in 1989. So he's my generation. General Practice Residency, North Shore Hospital in Manhasset. Two years, Chief Resident, 89-91. He was an associate for three years in a private practice with Dr. Burt Cohn. And in 1994, became his practice. And he was in Plainview, has now moved to Syosset. Hospital appointments at Northwell Hospital, Manhasset. Volunteer for large GPR. Provides regular lectures and clinic. 
1991, presenting awards, the attending instructor of the year, and the Fellowship Academy of General Dentistry. He's got a wife, Amy, daughters, Jamie, Blake, granddaughter, Josie. He's a granddaddy. His hobbies, sports, of course, golf fanatic. I'll attest to that. Huge Mets fan, so we agree on that. And unfortunately, he's a Jets fan. I can't help him. Couldn't get him into the Bills when he was in Buffalo. But please welcome my good friend and going to be your good friend, Dr. Rich Kobeck. How you doing, man? Thanks, Sonny. Always great seeing you and talking to you. And, yes, we go back a long way now. Was long it 19, way. 1985. But I'm a, little, I'm a little confused about something here. I thought I thought this is the Big East Rewind. We're talking about Pearl and – and. Uh, and Derek Coleman tonight? Are we talking yeah. about Dennis? Yeah, let's tonight? let's talk, you can talk sports, man. It's right up your head. Let's talk. Let's talk Madison Square Garden, Big East yeah. tournament. Let's go, right, Georgetown. Yeah. Listen, you got off to a good start already with the Mets shirt on, so uh, you got That's you right. got me in a good mood. I'm looking forward to uh, to baseball season <laughs> after uh, after football. Uh, my Jets uh, kind of bowed out a little early, so I was rooting for your Bills. Though I'm not I'm not a Bills hater. You know that I root for the Bills right. as my second team. You know, so, I, I it's, it's funny you say that because I don't hate the Jets. I I enjoy. I liked it when they were when they were doing well. It was exciting. I think Robert Sal has got a little got a little swagger to him. They're going to be fine. Yeah. They got some young yeah. players, man. We'll see if we can get a quarterback now. That's that's what we're working on now. We'll see what happens. Just don't sign Rodgers. Don't don't get Rodgers. That's a huge. Yeah, I'm not a big Rodgers fan personally, but he is the best guy out there. It's just a matter. That's of a five. huge mistake. He's yeah. he's he's a prima donna. You don't want him. You you want a guy that's going to compete and gritty. I mean, Derek Carr would be my well, suggestion. All right. Well, I'll be happy with Carr. We got to get somebody though. We can't we can't compete the way where we are now. The future of fee for service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick might be available. Yeah, I don't know. He's uh, maybe, maybe a little uh, long in the tooth there as uh, get back to dentistry. Right? He's a huge Bills fan now, man. You see, he's at the playoffs yeah. without a shirt on at 20 below last year. This is so, incredible, man. So good, good stuff. All right, so fill us in. Let 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 people get to know you a little bit. Talk about your background. How, how'd you grow up? What are your parents? What were they doing? Yeah, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. You know, in a in a two bedroom apartment with a brother and my parents. It's um, you know, it was a very uh, middle class upbring- upbringing, uh, but you know, with two parents that really uh, had great values. Um, you know, we were very close by nature, but the fact that we lived in such a small apartment growing up, I didn't grow up with a lot of, uh, things handed to me out of work for everything I did. And, uh, but I had very supportive family, you know, my parents were really, you know, you know, pushed and wanted me to do the best we can. And, uh, you know, great brother who's been gone on to be real successful as well, Scott, as you know, too. So, um, so the, the background that I have, uh, you know, to be straight with you, has really made me appreciate the things that I've been able to achieve later on in my life. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that I don't take for granted. Where uh, sometimes it's a little tricky with uh, with kids now that uh, they grow up with a little more, you know, given to them that we've been fortunate to be able to provide for our kids. We're both in the same kind of position, but I think we both kind of grew up a little bit the same way, where uh, where um, you know, uh, going out to dinner was a special occasion. It wasn't a routine. Going on vacation wasn't a common thing. So, uh, so I do think I. I, I you know, I really appreciate the fact that uh, I've had some degree of success over the last, you know, 30 something years after dental school. And I, you know, I, I have to say a lot of that is due to dentistry. So, um, you know, so it's really been nice to kind of grow up one way and then be able to enjoy some of the things instead of it being something that was just uh, felt like it was coming to me. So uh, that's a little bit of the background, you know, always been, 
you know, sports fan, a lot of great friends, and I appreciate friends like you. I mean, it's something we kept in touch with for 35 years now. We talk all the time. So, uh, you know, these are things that, that I definitely appreciate and, and, and don't uh, take lightly. But So, uh, so what was your dad? What, what did he do? What did your dad, what your mom do? What did they do outside? What did they do for My dad was an engineer. He was a background, a real hardworking guy, long hours, uh, very detail-oriented. My mom worked uh, most of her life as well. Um, you know, she was selling uh, women's clothing for a long time. Uh, not afraid of hard work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, definitely not. So they passed along that work ethic to me. Um, you know, I was going to get to that a little bit later, but you know, let's we talk about that for a second. I probably could tell you that, um, uh, the strongest influence on me was my dad. You know, you know, my dad too. Unfortunately, he's not in the best of health right now, but, uh, you know, he's doing, uh, he's doing okay. But, big uh, personality, big hanging personality. In. Yeah, yeah, but you know he was a hard worker, and got you got to be tell you the most honest, ethical person I've ever met. So, um, you know, when you're with somebody like that for uh, for you know for most of your life, you know you you can't help but uh, take on some of those same characteristics. And I think that's you know kind of been a big influence on me as far as uh, you know how, how it's, uh, the traits have translated well for our profession. Um, mm-hmm. Dentistry is so demanding, as we know, and it takes full effort. You know, and uh, if you could do it without cutting corners uh, to provide the high level, it's something you could be proud of. And I think that's something that uh, he's always, you know, kind of instilled with me early on from elementary school to high school to, you know, making me stay home one weekend and, and memorize uh, multiplication tables because uh, you know, I was ready to go out and, you know, play ball or something. He's like, no, no, no you got to do this first. And it always became my priority to do it, you know, the, the work stuff from the education first and then move on to the enjoyable, you know, you know, leisure stuff. But, uh, so, um, you know, to this day, he's always, you know, uh, been that probably strongest influence to me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the first 20 years of my life, for sure. So dinner table, right? Because you didn't go out to eat a lot. My, my folks and I, we, 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 I grew up the same way. We went out, if we went to McDonald's, that, that would be like a big deal. And Carol's, we had Carol's back in the day, which became Burger King and what have you. But um, what was the dinner conference? Like your dad's an engineer, your mom's. Uh, an entrepreneur in, in, in like a little business going that had to really be a neat dynamic. Did they share some of that stuff with you over the dinner table or was it mostly talking to you about your school? What, what was the conversation like? Yeah, it was, we, we tried to have dinners with family almost every night. You know, that was a, uh, that was a pretty cool thing. That, huge uh, that was, impact. Uh, That's huge. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I know we had a lot of that same, same kind of background with that, but um, you know, having dinner every night and discussing your day and how school was or, or work, whatever time, you know, time frame it might've been and hearing a little bit about, you didn't get too detailed with, with work occurrences. We tried to leave some of that, you know, behind and talk more about family stuff, but there was conversations with it, but I also worked with him a lot, you know, and my time off from, uh, Shooting my time off from uh, school vacations after after um, school, yeah. I would spend a fair amount of time working in his business too. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service. Starting at only fifty nine dollars a month, they also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text FEE4SERVICE to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823. This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit Doc Sites for more information. Selling and packaging. Selling and packaging. 
okay. for a long time. Yeah, he was an engineer before that, but uh, he made his own business into you know assembling and packaging, and uh, and I would do a lot of that uh, just to make some extra money and uh, you know uh, not just rely on an allowance that kind of stuff as a kid. So did you, you know, did you like work. did you pry and ask him questions like about like like stuff that you see now as a business owner? Did you kind of say, hey, Dad, how about how does this process work? Did you, did you, were you inquisitive like that? Or are you yeah, just probably kind of not as about? much about the business end of it. And that's, that's probably a mistake I made. I probably should have been asking more of that because dentistry, we don't, we know we didn't get a lot of that. Dental school None. Really <laughs> that for later. So I probably should have got more involved in the business end at that point, but uh, maybe it wasn't my, uh, my biggest curiosity at that point, maybe it'd be the best way to say it. So I was more interested in the science and the math and, and putting things together and things like that, but not so much in the business end. And, uh, you know, it set me back a little bit, maybe, as far as knowing that end of it. I see young people these days a lot of times have a better business background than I might have had, you know, at that stage of my life. But when you when you got into practice, and especially when you got into purchasing and now owning, did you call your dad? Did you have those conversations then? Like, Definitely. Right? Definitely. At that point, for sure, yeah. I mean, uh, he went to see a bunch of practices with me when I was looking to really? actually buy my practice and left uh you know left where i was going to, leaving where i was as an associate for a while he came with me to see probably a half a dozen different practices that we looked at and i relied on him for input and and giving me uh some you know some advice and uh, suggestions things to ask about he was a good sounding board for me at that point yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that until you brought that up but that goes back you know 30 something years now 30 years yeah my, my dad had you know he had the ibm background so he had an impact too I actually started working for us helping manage and as we remember that yeah as we added another location he was kind of vital in, in talking to us about like an organizational chart i didn't know what it meant i'm still not sure what it means but at the time <laughs> i didn't i didn't know what it meant but it was cool to to have that input and you know i i was always i'm not big corporate i'm not big corporate we're just you know it's just it's a family practice you know it's and we're people and we talk to each other and he he put in certain things or he suggested certain things and then as you have grown a little bit you start to really appreciate wow you really need to have some of these things yeah 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 why not fall back on on somebody who's so close to you for their experiences and, and their their input advice why not i mean it, it would be silly to uh to shun that kind of input when we have people that are that close to us yeah. you know certainly uh, dads for sure you know, and you can extend that to, to friends that have been through it and, and other people, you know, the mentors along the way. But uh, why, why not rely on the people that are closest to you, you know, first? So talk yeah. about now. OK, so you're in high school. You went Sheepshead Bay High School? Sheepshead Bay High School, yep. And you're quite a bowling star, if I remember your jacket. Right. <laughs> right? We going to yeah. talk about that at all? <laughs> I actually haven't bowled now in a while. but uh, Oh, yeah, my was, goodness. Uh, are you that, kidding me? Yeah, that you're was done. At COVID, I, we uh, kind of stopped after COVID, but I kept doing it for years up until the last couple up until a couple oh of years ago. God. Folks, this guy is a stud. He's an early Anthony in, in, in Sheep's <laughs> Mark Roth is the guy we talked about from Sheep's Head Bay. He passed okay. away, actually. Oh, no. Yeah. So, so when did you get the, I'm going to go to dental school? When when did that become your, your career path? You know, I kind of knew early on in high school because, uh, unfortunately, I had some dental issues of my own. And uh, in the process of taking care of them, I became a little bit interested in that. I always thought I wanted to get to something with medical field. Really? Um, Just intrigued? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely something in the medical field. I didn't know if it would be medicine or dentistry. But when I had a lot of my own dental issues growing up, uh, I took a liking to the dentist that I was seeing locally in the area. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, did, did he reach out and help you or did you? Yeah, yeah, he was him? actually a very, very nice guy, an old fashioned type of dentist, very different. I mean, the things I learned after the fact, I don't uh-huh. know if I would have been as huge a fan of him as I was <laughs> at the time. But uh, but anyway, super nice guy. He worked like a one man operation. I think he had one person in with him, maybe a few hours a week to do some cleanup work. But otherwise, he was by himself in a small office, waited an hour to go into the room, you know. Stand up. Did he work standing up? Standing up, yeah, it was you know a block away from my house. So uh, yeah, the highlights magazines and the uh, waiting room that you fill in, find the pictures and stuff. Find like the that. pictures. <laughs> but um, but I liked him. He was a nice guy. And I, when I told him I was interested in going to dentistry, he had offered for me to come into the office to spend some time observing, and, and I did oh, that a wow. bunch of times. Yeah, okay, yeah, so he reached you know, out. yeah, right, right. In high school, so he offered it. I, you know, I, I talked to him about it. And it was great. So I, I don't remember how much time, but I spent enough time there to to kind of uh, continue to. Uh, piqued my interest and um you know and, and from high school i actually applied to one of the combined degree programs where straight from high school you go to college and dental school and it was supposed to be at nyu for both um but uh you know part way through the program i kind of you know looked into the other options of other dental schools besides nyu and uh fortunately for uh, our relationship uh, i got them went to buffalo so i got to meet you alone i was gonna say i was glad you yeah. left nyu i yeah. can see that much yeah, I, be, I better say also. I better, I better say also met my wife there too. Otherwise, if she hears this. Uh, that's a smart that's move. A, that's a smart, what about, what about happily that? married man, folks. That's a smart. <laughs> happily married man. So, so did your folks ever have anything? Um, because I'm just listening to what your dad had engineering background. Then he sets up his own business. Did they ever? Did they ever like encourage you? Listen, hey, why don't you go into something you can be a little bit on your, you know, on your own business wise? Did that would that ever part of conversation? Uh, they never really pushed me from one one way or another to do anything, you know, anything specific. But they kind of knew that I had an interest in dentistry, and they definitely, uh, you know, were supportive of that and thought that was a great idea and something, um, you know, something to to follow through with. So, uh, you know, they weren't the type that said, "I think you should do this or that," mm-hmm. but they knew early on that there's something I wanted to do. I think most most uh, young people these days don't really know in high school what they want to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's more the rarity from when I talk to people now. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of made it a little bit easier that I kind of had a career path that I really wanted to follow at an early age. So it kind of made it, you know, something, you know, roadmap to follow, you know, that made it a little simpler, I guess, in some ways. Okay. So NYU and you're in the combined program, which would have been. It would have been like a seven year program. Three, three and four, right? And then, right. So instead I had to add a little bit of time because, uh, you know, when I, when I transferred out of that into, into the uh, dental uh, to Buff- Buffalo's program, in order to get the Bachelor of Arts degree, I had to do a, a couple of summer classes just to make up a little bit of the gap, which I did because I wanted to get the BA. I don't really know that it mattered, but I felt it was, again, I'm a little driven that way, and I, I didn't want to just leave it on the table. So so let's do it's it. Funny. Yeah. I, I interviewed somebody not too long ago. I, I think it was uh, Todd Snyder, and he never got his bachelor's degree. Still doesn't have it, and he had the same situation where he changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if whatever really would have made any difference, but I would have felt there would have been a little bit of a gap in there along the way in education. So why not do it for a couple of extra uh, courses and some work? Why not just do it? Couple courses. Remember they did the Strelka. They made him take the entire year. He graduated from dental school with us on Friday, and he was at Canisius on Saturday. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that rings a bell now. Yep. Madness, madness. Yeah. Okay, so so you're at NYU. You're you're thinking, you know, dentistry. Now at no point you're at no point. Do you really waver? Is it pretty much you're just getting because you're already into it, so you commit pretty much first year in in college. So, right. what was it like your first year in Buffalo? What 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 were you thinking when you got there? 
Well, that was the first time I went away too. So it was interesting because I commuted when I went to NYU. So, but I was also young, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I skipped one year in elementary school early on. So it was, um, I think when I went to Buffalo it was 85, I was, it was, um, yeah, I was just 20. I was 20 that April of, uh, of dental school. So I, I was the youngest in our class, as you, as you probably remember. So, uh, you know, I was maybe a little less mature than uh, some of the other people at that stage. So, uh, so it was, but it was like a new thing for me to go away. I mean, you were away for undergrad and traveled and all kinds of stuff. And most of the people that we went to school with were away for school, but I was commuting by, you know, buses and subways and walking you know, back and forth. So I didn't necessarily have the same social experience you know, an undergrad, uh, you know, as a commuter to NYU. So uh, to me, it was like a fun time to go away and now be with people at other, you know, in other ways. So even though we had a lot more workload than we had, um, you know, in undergrad school, you know, I kind of still enjoyed it because uh, we went out all the time. We went, you know, out at night. We had great, you know, lunches and, you know, cheap places like Ziggy's. And, I, you know, you know what? I got to tell, I got to tell a story. You'll remember this. <laughs> it was your first patient in preventive clinic. And I was your assistant. Oh uh, yeah. And and the woman the woman came in. She was dolled up. She had all the makeup on. Her hair was fixed up. Young, attractive girl. You were so you had to get everything done. You had the profi angle, and it was all black grease all over the side of her cheek. <laughs> and, and I remember looking over, going, "Are you are you going to do anything with that?" And, you were you were like I, I'm getting this done. You were like getting so focused on what you were doing, and the and the girl was couldn't have been nicer. But I was like, oh my god, that <laughs> uh, was nerve wracking in those days. We right? got started right. I, I mean, their first patient, you're a freshman in in, in yeah, dental right. school, you know, right? Yeah, combine combine that with being 20 years old or something like that. It was a little <laughs> scary at the beginning. Yeah, she was the cougar man. You didn't realize it. You didn't even realize she was on the prowl. <laughs> so, I do I do remember that though. <laughs> Yeah. She had red hair too. So anyway, so when you're in dental school, is anything or any of the specialties uh, light your fire, or what? What, yeah. what do you like? What are you drawn to now in dental school? Yeah, I think I think what happened was in, in dental school after between first and second year, and then maybe also between second and third year, I, I worked during the summers. You know, because again, I, I didn't have a background where anything was really handed to me at that point. So I tried to just maximize the summer times to make some money. Remember, I was also starting to starting to save up for uh, for a ring at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, had to work I do remember bit. that. Yes, I do. And um, so I already uh, took I the plunge. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So I worked at a perio office for two summers in the city. So again, I commuted back and forth uh, from that's home. Right. From Brooklyn that's right. That's right. It was a perio office. So right. I worked in a perio office, and, and and they were they were a high end office. Treated a lot of celebrities in the office, and that was. Bad. I didn't even think about that, but that's probably one of the influences on me too, because these guys did. Um, did big time work. It was actually a little, little nerve wracking in there too, because they were they were seeing you know real uh, some special clients. I remember, so um, so that kind of uh, pushed me a little bit, but it gave me an opportunity to make some money over the summer, and and it also you know kind of opened my eyes to doing perio. It was something I was thinking about you know really pursuing, and um, it was the early days of implants. I remember them just starting to do dental implants in those years in the late eighties, mid eighties. So. Um, so that was uh, that was one of the areas I pursued to the point that I applied to some perio programs at the end of dental school, along with uh, GPR programs, and I, I just decided that I didn't want to limit myself yet at that point. So uh, I figured I could always do perio after the GPR if I still want to do it, and I'm kind of glad I, I did that now. So because uh, I really okay. love what I do with uh, general. So when you yeah. graduate. <clears throat> I remember the time, but I want you to kind of fill. fill you, did, you did endo. Uh, you were into endo a little bit. I remember. 
Well, I because I hated it so much, I had to I had to figure it out. I couldn't, I couldn't stand. <laughs> I couldn't stand that. I couldn't get over that. That it was such a simple concept, and I couldn't get it. So yeah, I added the the minor so I could do more of it. You know, and I worked yeah, with yeah, yeah. So I did the minor in Perry. All right, right. So when we graduated. The match was fairly new, the 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 GPR yeah. match, right? And and they had made it so if you went and you committed to doing the match, you really had to stay in. You couldn't right, commit right. to the match and then leave right, it. But that was a no-no to back out if you did that, right? So so you went into the match, correct? Yeah. Well the perio the perio wasn't part of the match, so I applied separately to that. So I did apply to a couple of programs and I ended up, you know, turning it down after I got a couple of offers to go to Perio. But I did get matched in the, in the general uh, GPR program at North Shore, Manhasset, mm-hmm. which was really considered, you know, considered one of the more you know prestigious programs in the area. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, once I got into that, I said that's 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 a great thing, and it's an area that I, really, I kind of wanted to be in, and it was so location wise. So well, uh, when you started, you did one year, but then you you added the second year, correct? Right. The program was a one year program with an optional second year as chief resident, okay. and. Um, initially I was hesitant to do it. I was like, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's one, one thing I remember my parents pushing me a little bit. They're like, ah, oh, what, you know, don't you want to get out there and start working already? Don't you want to uh, yeah. start making some money? Right. And that was the one, that was the one time I kind of went against my parents' advice a little bit. And I said, you know something, I was the youngest graduate in my down school class. I was 24 years old. Um, I still felt like I could gain some confidence and knowledge uh, after the one year uh, of, a, of a GPR, I felt like I was maybe a little behind. I think Buffalo was great academics. We didn't have a ton of clinical experience in those days. So I said, you know, so I was 25 after the one-year program. I said, so what's another year going to do for me? I'll be 26, and I'll get a ton of experience. And that was really one of the best decisions I ever made at that point was to was to apply for the second year for the chief residency program. It really gave me a lot more knowledge on, on complex cases and, you know, aesthetic dentistry and getting involved with implants at an early stage and uh, and just gave me a lot of confidence. Didn't you restore your dad when you were a second year resident? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember remember talking to you about centric relation. It's so funny. It was a, yeah, he needed a posterior reconstruction basically. And I did it with a couple of different prosthodontists who are to this day were were, were kind of mentors to me also in, in, in residency program stuff that I probably wouldn't have learned how to do easily. Um, you know, just going out into private practice at that point. So, uh, you know, we learned a lot of different techniques from a lot of different people. And, uh, you know, that, that was something I, you know, I can't get back. That was a time that I really got a chance to, to try a lot of different things and then see what worked well in my hands and what was what I was comfortable with from, you know, a lot of different viewpoints. A lot of people donated their time, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, you know, kind of one of the reasons why I stayed on ever since as an attending there, because I got so much out of it that I felt why not make, make that the way that I really get back to the yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I've been volunteering there for 30-something years since, and it's like uh, – you know, just uh, I just think it's a nice thing to do when uh, when I had the opportunity to benefit from it in my early days. You know. Okay, so you're finishing up. What's it like now going into the real world? What did you do? What steps did you take to get going in your career? You mean from the residency after at that yeah. point? Now you now you're yeah you're you're you're, you're now going to be swimming in the ocean. How did you find a place? Um, well, a couple couple things happened during the course of the residency that helped me. One was. Uh, I took advantage of a lot of the, the attendings' offers to go volunteer and just shadow and see their offices too. So I probably did that about at least a half a dozen times with some of the attending doctors at the time that I felt I hit it off a little bit that I, I took a little bit of a liking to, and they were they were you know very gracious about having me come in and um, spending you know a day, half a day, whatever it might be, just to, just see different feels of people's um, 
philosophies, uh, their clinical and, and management styles, things like that that you don't get from dental school. So to this day, I stress that to all, all the recent graduates who I work with and teach at the program. I said, you know, take advantage of this now. You're not going to do it once you're out working. It just doesn't, it's not feasible. It doesn't, from a practical standpoint, you're not going to start volunteering and shadowing in offices two years later when you're working already. So take advantage of the time when you have a day off, an afternoon light, something like that to do it. And that was really an invaluable experience. And it's interesting. I kind of keep track of that stuff. And I'd say maybe about 25% of the people that I teach really listen to it and follow up and do it. They're motivated to do it. It tells you something, you know, about somebody's motivation and what the determination yeah. might be about learning. But that was a big, big um, advantage for me to do that. And one of the guys that I did that with was the dentist I ended up working with for three years, Burke Cohn, who uh, also struggled a little bit with his health right now, but a, an amazing man who's my second mentor, probably you know, behind my dad, uh, you know, as far as somebody along the way. And I worked with him for, turned out, about three years. Um he had an office that was just something that I really admired. It was, uh, he did, you know, high end, high quality dentistry. Um, but, you know, but more than that, his, you know, his influence on me as far as his philosophy and, um, and how he, um, wasn't just the clinical work. I mean, he's just a class act of a guy. Um, you know, he really, um, treated people the way I think that you'd want to be treated if you went to a dental office as a patient. And that's kind of what I got more from the clinical stuff. The clinical stuff, a lot of guys could probably teach you that, although I, you know, I, I did learn a lot on that end. But um, the one thing I remember from him that I learned during that time, and, and it's one of his teaching philosophies when he was on staff at the hospital too, um, he called it the five Ps, and it had to do with preparation. And his, his mantra was prior planning prevents poor performance. And I've always remembered that from him. And I think that's one of the things that I, that plays into being a fee-for-service dentist is that you can't just wing it in this field. I mean, you can, but you're not going to get considered the same results and, and the oh, same. Shit, uh, I'm in trouble. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't do that. I know you well enough. Uh, but um, but you know, from the you know, just from a, from my planning of treatment for patients to the assistants being prepared for the patient to the front desk, you know, planning the appointments and working out financial arrangements, uh, every step of the way. That mantra holds true, and it's kind of been something that I've kept in my mind along the way, and, and certainly falls into line with something with FIFA service dentistry that I think you have to be able to be able uh, to provide and and follow in order to, uh, you know, to expect patients to pay out of their pocket for something and, and appreciate something you're doing. You, you can't be unprepared. Uh, it just protects a con- projects your confidence. Uh, patients feel more comfortable if they know that you know that you you're prepared and you know what you're doing on what's happening. So that's really one of the big things I got from working with him. You know, unfortunately, the way the practice worked out at that point, uh, we didn't become partners and work long-term just because it was difficult to, to expand the one-man practice into a full two-person practice in that area uh, we were in. Um, you know, it was an area where a lot of people were accepting insurances and, and it wasn't necessarily the, you know, the highest um, socioeconomic uh, location on Long Island. Um, it was maybe at one point, but it kind of backed off a little bit. So uh, you know, I kind of saw after a while that I would, um, you know, I would start looking at other opportunities, but it was never because of any, uh, any mm-hmm. uh, animosity or any problems that we had between us. He was all for it and, and encouraging me, you know, even afterwards. And, and we stayed, we stayed in close friends to this day. This was, right. uh, you know, 35 well, years so later. The plan, the plan was you're going to go in and work as an associate and then you're going to become a, a certain point. Right. And become right. A the plan was to become a partner at that point, right. but it just wasn't, it wasn't practical, you know, at that point to really make now it when, happen. Standpoint. 
when did you realize that? Because you're three years early. Were, were you like? I was there three two? years. I would say probably about halfway into that time frame when I had a lot of lot of free time sitting around. wasn't wasn't really busy enough. And I tried doing what I could to build it too. I would go out and talk to different specialists. I went to schools. I did um, presentations. I tried to do what I can. I wasn't sitting back just you know waiting for it to happen. It was just it was just a slow moving process in our area. It wasn't you know mm-hmm. it's was a lot of competition, a lot of dentists in in, in Long Island, and um, so it was a slow moving process at that point. And uh, I actually picked up another day in another office to you know because you know it felt like I was just there too many hours for the amount of workload for me. And he wasn't ready to slow down. He was in his you know early fifties at that point, and uh, you know he wasn't looking to give up days or, or pass along too many patients. So I really was working more on overflow. It was a little more of a difficult uh, scenario to, to build that way. So, uh, but I wasn't ready to give up and just, you know, you know, go to, um, you know, go, you know, join on plans and, and, and do different kind of dentistry. I still felt strongly about wanting to do dentistry the way I learned how to do it after putting in the two years at the hospital and right. spending time with him. I wanted to do that dentistry. I was kind of excited about doing that, but you're kind of chopping at the bit at that point and, and not that busy. So, that's when I started looking at other opportunities to maybe buy my own practice. There's somebody that might be retiring or whatever. So when, when, when did you share that with Bert? When, when did you go to him and say, listen, you know, this, this, I don't see this being, you know, the, 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 the partnership that we had hoped I'm going to start looking for a practice. Did you Yeah, I think it was probably, it was probably about a year to a year and a half into the relationship. And, uh, and it wasn't like, well, then leave that. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, well, why don't we, you know, maybe just trim the hours a little bit. So it's right. He wasn't getting hurt by it either. I sure. worked another day in another office. And then during that time frame, I was, you know, starting to look into other opportunities. So it was never like getting thrown out kind of a thing at all. Um, and as a matter of fact, the situation that eventually came to pass we even discussed the possibility of doing it together and then having right. two practices we do, yeah. but um, you know, he actually, yeah, that, that would be that. a, yeah, that would be a natural alternative if he's so inclined. Right. Were you right. sharing with him? Hey, I saw so-and-so's practice because he probably, yeah, yeah we were, probably yeah, we were very open about it. Right? Yeah. We, but he, we were very open about it. But, did, but he probably had some insights, right? He probably said, you mm-hmm. know, this is, yeah. you know, this is a little schlocky. This one is, you know, this is legit. And, you know, right. So Definitely. it's a resource. Mm-hmm. See, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer, and you have to be upfront. Everybody's like, "No, don't say a word till you're ready to leave." Right. Two weeks, no, that's that's garbage. No, we didn't have that kind of relationship. quality relationship. You got to treat it like a quality relationship, right? Right. It was not wasn't going to walk out on him with a week's notice or anything like that. We knew, we knew it wasn't going to happen that way, and and we did look into the possibility of doing it together, and it was just his decision not to at that point. He just didn't want to start, you know, getting involved in another large entity, you know, at that stage of his career, which you know that was up to him. So. Uh, you know, everything worked out for the best, and we have a great relationship to this day. So, uh, hey, the practice so, I went into and bought for myself, I wanted to buy with the two guys I was working for. I was like, hey, let's go out here. We'll buy it. We'll be partners. Blah blah blah. We don't want to go out there. Okay, time to show your own ship. You know, but that was that was my process too. Same deal. Um, so, so talk a little bit about the purchasing part. How much time did you spend? As you talked about going to multiple practices. Yeah, well, I, I saw a lot of different entities, and I have a whole presentation based on all the all the things I learned doing that. Because again, I didn't have much of a background. It wasn't like I was going around with you know uh, consultant consultants helping me with that. Yeah. Me and my dad, my dad was my consultant helping me, but um, but I got to learn an awful lot during the course of that process of a year, year and a half, maybe two years, whatever it might have been. And was, I actually turned that into. Um, into a presentation that I give a lecture to the residents annually, where I bring them out to the office. We talk about all the, all the experiences that I've had and I've developed it into a lecture uh, about to try to 
try to help them with some of the pitfalls that I didn't realize that pop up along the way with looking to buy practices. So that's another whole subject, but that was helpful. Uh, you know, just learning a lot of things. There were a couple of practices that I was on the verge of, of purchasing that fell through at the, uh, you know, at the, at the last minute. And it's, it was very frustrating and very emotionally draining when you, so, you, know, when you think, think you're so about to move you, and buy some. How did you get a hold of, I mean, where, where did, where did you locate those practices? Were, were, were you working well, through back, back in those days? I mean, that's, that, that, this, there was a lot of ways that I do again. You know, I, I wasn't the type that just sat around waiting for it to happen. Yeah. You know, so, so I looked, I mean, I sent out letters, I remember, from the ADA directory to dentists that were over 60 years old within a certain radius of where I was. Yeah, that's just that's smart. Where, that's just smart. I did that. There were, there were ads, I remember, from the Nassau County and New York State Dental Journals at that point. You know, yeah, people yeah. Know, the New York Times put in put in uh, ads in the uh, professional section at that yes. point. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, they were obituaries that, you know, you look at. Um, for people that passed away, I mean, those and it's a, it's a kind of a, a morbid topic, but it's something that these people want to get something for their practice for their family. And it turns out that I ended up did ended up buying a practice from somebody who tragically was killed in an accident, which I get to in a second. But um, there were a lot of different ways. I talked to different a lot of people, laboratory um, owners, uh, supply people, anybody that was out there in the field that might put might have you know insight into what might be going on. And even the letters that I sent out, I tried making it as, as non-presumptuous as I can. I don't want to assume somebody's retiring, but I said, if you or anybody you know might be interested in talking to yeah. me, I did a program. Yeah. You know, I just tried to make it as, as nice as I can without being pushy, but opening up. And, I, and, it, and it opened a lot of doors to look at a lot of situations that uh, that, that I did evaluate. You know, to, to, I bet you there were places that weren't really technically on the market, but then they probably were like, hey, let me talk to this guy. Maybe I do. Right. I mean, what ha- but that led to my my kind of fishing around like that led to meeting with certain people that weren't quite ready. And so that that led to, you know, it was a little bit disappointing on a few situations that I thought might have been really good that I was excited about. Right. Right. And maybe maybe they were a year or two or three before they were really ready. So right. you, know, you can yeah. have conversations and invest time and emotions and all of a sudden it's not ready to happen. So, you know, that's something that I talk about with the residents nowadays, because uh you know that that's uh, I can see that there's going to be an emotional stage at the time you do want to step away and uh, and uh, you really got to be ready to do it. Hey, two so, of our classmates just sold out to to a DS yeah. DSO, and yeah. both of them talked about how emotional it was. Yes, when they actually, I, I can I can I can picture it for sure. Actually, I mean, happened, yeah, yeah, I can see it more now than when I was at that stage looking at it. I was like, what do you what do you mean emotion? It's like selling a house. I was like, no, not really. It's like you know, a lot of relationships along the way. It's not it's not yeah. just an object. You know. So talk about what you got. What was the opportunity? Was was, so, yeah, so, okay. was a fee-for-service practice part of what you were looking for or just you were looking for a business? I, I was. I was. And, and, that, and that's, those days also in the, in the late 80s to early 90s, I think there were a lot more fee-for-service practices than there are now. But um, the, so the situation that happened with, with my practice that I bought, unfortunately, was a very uh, tragic scenario. It was a dentist that I had met a couple of times at local meetings uh, he was 40 years old. He was traveling 40. with uh, 40 years old. He was traveling with his wife on their 15th wedding anniversary trip to Hawaii, which he had told me about at the time I'd met him uh, at one of the local dental meetings, you know, several weeks before that. He was looking forward to this trip. And um, the craziest thing was the ninth day of a 10-day trip, uh, they were in an accident, and a pineapple truck in Hawaii crossed the, crossed the divider and hit their car. He was killed in Hawaii. His wife survived the accident, um, was, was pretty badly in, uh, injured from the accident, but she survived. And um, and now, uh, you know, of course, because this happened, 
happened, they had to sell their sell off his practice. You know, he was a you know young dentist with a busy practice, and um, um, you know, as as sad as it is, they still want to get something out of it for the family. And uh, I was told about the situation a week or two afterwards, and said that um, they started to show the practice to people who might be interested. Uh, Perry Donis in the area, who I'm still very close with today, uh, worked with him and said, I, you know, somebody that might be interested and put me in touch with the uh, office manager and the lawyers who were taking care of it. Okay, stop right and, there. Uh, stop uh, right there. Let's let's emphasize that point. A Perry Donis that you had a relationship with mm-hmm. was ultimately the conduit right. to get you there. So, again, yes. relationships. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the relationship helped because I mean he put a good word in as far as you know, this guy yeah. is a, he's a good, good dentist and a good guy, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think this would be somebody that might be a good candidate to take over the other practice. So, um, and he knew that I was ready at that point because I was looking for a little while. So yeah, after all the all the time put into looking at other practices, it was six weeks from the time that this accident happened to the time that I was in in the door. I mean, you, you kind of had to move fast in a situation like that because otherwise people were just flocking, flocking away. It wasn't, yeah. it was very, very, well, the practice value, most, you know, right. It plummets pretty quick when person passes. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of guys that looked at the practice and looked at it as a, an opportunity to try to steal something for dirt cheap. Um, and that's one of the topics that I talk about with the residents at this point. I said, you know, if you're looking at, at a situation to buy it and sell it to somebody else a year later, I can understand that approach. But I think the approach that I took was more, well, I'm looking at it as a career opportunity. And I'm willing to pay a fair price for that because what's the difference? If I pay $50,000 more than somebody else might be over the course of a career, it's really peanuts. And uh, and I don't want to kill lose. Yeah, I don't want to lose the opportunity. You know, it's funny you said that because when I when I was dealing with my practice that I bought, and I remember I was like, ah, oh, it was a bit high. And he says, how much? He goes, give me a number. No, we'll just take 50000 He goes, amortize that over five years. What's that? $50 a month? Is it worth <laughs> $50 a month for you to have your independence? And I was like, holy shit. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, you know, it's a crazy situation. But um, so... Um, yeah, there were guys bad mouthing me afterwards saying, oh, he paid way too much for that practice, this and that. And I was like, okay, so, uh, so if I paid, like I said, if I paid $50,000 more than they thought was a fair yeah. price for a tragedy situation, yeah. uh, they they wanted it for a different situation. They wanted to make turn a quick yeah. buck on it. You know, and It wasn't flipping. $50 a month. It was a couple hundred bucks a month. But anyway, the same deal. Right? Well, whatever, whatever it is, you know, but yeah. uh, but I look, I look at it you know, now and kind of laugh about that aspect of it. It's like that, that money is meaningless, you know, but mm-hmm. – uh, the situation was not. The situation was very different, you know, in that, um, you know, you don't have somebody shaking hands and, and, and right. going to Florida and retiring. So it was a very yeah. emotional situation uh, to deal with. Funny, funny this conversation is coming up now because the woman who was the office manager uh, is no longer in dentistry now, but um, she was in the office today having a teeth clean. She's been coming to me ever since as a patient. So uh, she was in the office tonight. So what's it like? You're going from an associate, you want to buy your own practice. And just like you said, bam, you're smack dab in the middle of the ocean and you're the captain of the ship. What were some of the challenges that you saw right away? Well, that was a lot of anxiety and nerve wracking on my end. Again, at that point, I was 29. So it's still pretty young to be an owner of a business, you know, at that point. And uh, all of a sudden you're thrown in. And um, so the dentistry, I felt like, okay, I'm prepared to do this now. I did the residency. I did a few years as an associate. I felt pretty comfortable with the dentistry part. But the other stuff was tough, especially when you come, people are coming in now emotional because the dentist passed away in an accident, put a whole other slant on the situation. So uh, hopefully most people don't have to deal with that when they buy a practice. That, you know, they what's, his, 
Was his widow involved at all in the practice at this point? Like front um, she, was, she was not really. She uh, she didn't even get back for a couple of weeks afterwards because she was being treated in a hospital, uh, you know, in Hawaii. But um, very little, other than the fact that she approved a letter that she helped contribute to, to write. Right, based on a right. couple of conversations I had with her and the lawyers put it together with her. But um, so she wanted to meet me. Um, one of the craziest stories of this whole thing was um, she had a temporary crown in her mouth when this when this all happened because he was doing a crown for her before they left to go away. Um, so she had it in her mouth and the crown was sitting waiting in the office to put in. But uh, between the injury and her emotional distress basically she didn't want to come into the office you know she said i feel like i feel like i can't come into the office so i packed up some stuff and brought stuff over to her house and uh put the crown in for her in her house uh, i don't remember how we did it how i adjusted it i can't remember to tell you the truth but so so what was the business model that you bought what was their business was a fee-for-service practice was it a mixture yes it was a fee-for-service practice um I think there might have been one union that, that they helped people out at because I think his father was part of the union and asked if he would help out some people he knew that. So there was a handful of people in, in like an uh, electrician's union, I think, that came as patients. I, I kept that up for them just to, you know, as a courtesy for their family that wanted to help these people. So that, that's about it. But it was, we didn't participate in any uh, insurance plans at that, you know. So, uh, so what was your, what was your dynamics of your business? Did you, were you like, were you an out of network? In other words, you submit to insurance yeah. and then collect. Right, copay? right. So yeah, I'd say to this day, it's probably similar. We probably have about 50% of our patients that have dental insurance, but we're out of an out of network provider. Uh, my staff has always uh, been the one to, to submit for patients. So there are patients that pay us directly and wait, and there are pay, a lot of patients that pay us part fees and, and wait, we wait for the insurance and they pay any differences at that point. We, we, yeah. we've, pretty fle- we've had a pretty flexible approach over the years. Yeah, that's what I, we I do. Thought, yeah, I thought that was a way to not turn off patients yeah. and, and build your practice without yeah. being hard and fast on things. But you know, bottom line is we got almost we got most of it paid to us over time anyway, so uh, I felt okay. it worked for us. So what? So other than you being the new guy and starting out, what were some of your some of the challenges of being a fee for service practice amongst a, a, you know a plethora of you know insurance based practices? Like that patient comes in and says, to "You, hey doc, take my insurance." How, how do those conversations go? Yeah, I mean that that that's a conversation that still comes up to this day sometimes. Like, Why don't you take the insurance? And and we have to kind of not just tell them why I don't, but show them is really a better way, I would say. Um, you know, it's been 30-something years now in a community where there's not that many practices that, that are just strictly fee-for-service. Um, but I think it involves a full commitment, not only by the dentist, but your entire staff, um, to show them that there's a difference in, in what we can do or what we what we will do uh, to deserve being paid something besides a, an insurance fee. And the day that comes that you don't show that or there's a, there's a slack off on doing it, then uh, those patients are going to pick up and go to the place where they're, they're on the list and they don't have to pay out of pocket. So that's the approach we've always taken. And, um, you know, from uh, from the time the first phone call comes in to the front desk staff, to the way they communicate with patients, to the hygienist relationship and rapport with, with the patients, to the assistance deal, dealings with the patients, mm-hmm. you make them feel special from, from start to finish. Um, from the first phone call to, to the infection control protocols and seeing a clean office, unrushed procedures, uh, taking your time with the exams. And, you know, I, I kind of always had the approach that I learned from, uh, from Bert years ago, that if somebody needs extensive dentistry, I'm not going to squeeze it into a two-minute conversation during a hygiene exam. 
I'll say, you know something, let me give you a little bit of a preliminary idea of what I see here, but why don't we sit down and spend time unencumbered by other patients in the office, no, no rushing, come at the end of the day, we'll take as much time as you need. Sometimes it'll be 20 minutes, sometimes it might be an hour. And I'd sit down and do separate consultations face-to-face in my private office, explaining in details, photos, x-rays, whatever they need to see. Some patients want details, some don't. But um, you know, building that rapport and, and being unrushed and taking your time to do this stuff has really paid off you know, for me over time. And that's kind of how we show patients that there's going to be a little bit of a difference. Um, so let me ask you this. I'm a marketing guy. You hired me. And, and first question I'm going to ask you, as we market your practice, why would they come to your office? And you want me to answer how, how answer you that, or what I said? What is well, you know, pretend, pretend pretend I'm asking you that question, right? And it's like, why would someone come to your office? What 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 why what is it uh, about your office that's either unique, different, or special? What's your niche? What? Well, I, I tell patients that. that I think we're going to treat you as an individual based on your individual needs. We're not, not based on what somebody else needs or, or one philosophy. Uh, people people are, uh, are different when their needs. They have different needs in their mouth. They have uh, different needs emotionally, uh, time perspective, different numbers of questions. And we're going to treat everybody as, as, their, as their own entity, uh, as special as we can, taking, taking the time it takes to do things the right way. So they're, first again, they're not, they're not going to know what our margins are like. All right. Yes. I, I, am I meticulous and fanatic about that stuff? Of course. But they're not coming to me because my margins are sealed and, and they're fitted. They're, they're coming to us uh, because they place a value in the service I think that they're getting from our office and, and the feel they get when they come right. in and when they walk out. I think, that, I think yeah. that's that's really the bottom line. Well, you talked about that. You said come in, clean office. What, what do you want a person to see when they come into your office? What do you want? Well, certainly cleanliness is, is one. I don't want to see a, a messy, you know, uh, place that's the, the vacuum. The, the carpets aren't vacuumed, and there's dirt on the ceiling and, uh, and, and things like that. I want to see that the, that the staff is presentable. Um, you know, we have people in our office for many, many years, and I think that's only you know because of the fact that uh, you know this is the kind of team I want to represent in my office. You know, and if uh, any weak link, you know, could potentially ruin the whole ruin the whole chain on that. Now, I can cheat because I've been to your office plenty, and every time I'm down that area, I always make it a chance, make it a, a, a absolute mission to make sure I spend a, a morning or a day with you. Yeah, you're, you, you're amazing with that. You walk in the office, and it's changed. It's always a little bit of a change, but there's always neat, clean. There's a patient area. There's a little refreshment area. There's different magazines. It's not A, B, or C. It's, it's plenty right. of things that they have at their disposal. The front desk greets you. Their receptionists are warm. It's inviting. You go in, everyone's dressed in uniform. You can tell it's a professional office, right? It's You're not walking into I think so. Joe's Pizza Shack. You know what I mean? Like you're walking into, you know, a professional entity. So, so that, you know. Yeah, we get trying. a lot of comments that people, people are impressed with the, with the facility, which I like. And, you know, and we always get comments about the, about the staff, you know, uh, you know, being uh, big windows, oversized treatment rooms, you know, right. yeah, it's got a nice flow to it for sure. Yeah, no, thank you. So, thank share you. with us a little bit. You want to talk a little bit about your what some of the things that you feel that fee for service are, you know, um, kind of say hallmarks, yeah. or trademarks. We talked, you talk a lot about service, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's 
That's a big, big, big. Well, and big, I know that's the way your office works too. I mean, uh, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I see yeah. the comments from patients all the time too. It's, and that's what you want to see. I mean, you know, if we go on social media these days and look at the reviews, and you know, I'm proud that we have a couple, you know, hundreds of reviews of people that are saying the things that they say on there. Um, you know, so uh, you know, but I think we work hard to try to do that. We're not we're not telling people to please do it for us. You know, we we uh, we you know, give them some leads to do it, but uh, we don't tell anybody what to say. And uh, you know, that, I'm proud of that stuff. Um, you know, you talk about the front desk staff, and it's, it's interesting. One of the things that came up as a, a story that I'll never forget that that kind of puts some emphasis on how important those first contacts are with, with the on the phone or in person. Uh, I don't know if I remember if I ever told you this story that we hired a new front desk employee. And uh, this goes back a long time, but it, it, it taught me a lesson. And the potential new patient called up and uh, wanted to make an appointment. And she asked the person on the phone if we do implant dentistry. Um, you know, they, they had some problems. What do, does Dr. Kobach do implant dentistry? And the new employee's reply, who wasn't really familiar with our work, might have been a first or second day, said, hold on, let me go find out. So uh, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's what you really said to this patient. I don't, I don't remember if I ever saw that patient after that point. But, like, all right, we have to be a little careful here about somebody starting at the front desk answering phones and uh, doesn't even know what we do as a, as a practice in the office. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think as a potential patient, I'd be too happy hearing that this patient didn't even know if it's something we do in the office. So uh, it kind of is a little bit eye-opener. It taught me a lesson that, all right, we got to be careful with anybody that has contact with patients really has to know what they're talking about and, and know how to uh, handle these situations. But uh, you know, just, just one thing that came along the way. But, you guys um, do like a lot of team meetings and stuff? I know, I know you guys are organized pretty well. We, we do some. We probably should do more. You know, I mean, I know, I know offices that do, you know, morning huddles or do regular meetings. You know, we, we do some, um, we do a lot of individual conversations also. Um, like if I hear something like that would have happened, maybe not even to that extreme, I might call, call a front desk person into the office and say, you know, I just overheard something. I want to just discuss with you how I think the, the right way to approach that. And I don't want to demean anybody. I don't want to criticize anybody in front of anybody. We try to be, you know, as fair and, and, uh, and uh, respectful to everybody that works with us. But I also want to, you know, teach what I can and try to, you know, try to critique in a positive manner to try to, you know, avoid these situations from cropping up again. If we see a better way to handle something, I, you know, we try to do that all the time on an ongoing basis, not just once in a while. Um, you know, so I think that's important for anybody that, especially in a fee-for-service practice, to try to, you know, constantly upgrade your level of your scripting and your speech, speaking to patients from all parts of the office. Um one of the things that I thought that I could, I could tell you about um, is, is, the, is the way that we generate referrals, you know, into the office in a fee-for-service practice. You know, we're not relying on anybody looking at an insurance book uh, and seeing our name on there. Okay, this is close by. You, you know how this works. And, okay, this is close to my house. He's on my insurance plan. Let me call the office. So since we don't do that, um, you know, we, would, we definitely depend on new patients for a big portion of our business and, and, and growth. So... I would say probably 90% of it is patient and specialist based. And you know, I don't know if a lot of people say specialist based, but you know, patients, you know, I would hope are probably number one referral source, but I've really relied a lot over the years on specialists referring people in. And that, that's been an amazing referral source for us uh, because the patients come in with a whole different level of confidence at that point. They're willing to pay some out of pocket. Um, and the way I try to do that is by always showing them, you know, beautiful work. When I work with the surgeons, periodontists, um, you know, I'll send them exquisite provisionals that, that fit well, that look like teeth, but they have to look twice to see is it the final crown or is it the temporary on there. 
not this big bulky uh, temporary with with margins that aren't sealed. Um, you know, they see plenty of mediocre work. I talk to specialists about this stuff a lot, and they have to bite their tongue because they get referred by these patients, or by these other uh, dentists. But they will talk up excellent work, and I've learned that. And, and when they see good work, patients come back and tell me. They said, oh, uh, you know, Dr. Goldberg said this, um, you know, the temporary looked amazing, or, or uh, the periodontist you know, said the temporary looked, looked great. He wasn't sure which one it was first. And, you know, and patients hear that, and they know, okay, well, this is another dentist, you know, praising somebody else's work. Um, and, and now when these specialists see this, and they have a free agent patient that's not happy where they were, or they say, I need a dentist to go to, you know, they think of us to do that. And that's amazing uh, source of referrals for us over the years. Uh, or when they come in personally and do work on, on some other dentists, and they send their family in, you know, when, uh, you know, Jeff says to somebody uh, that, uh, you know, I go see Rich, or my wife and son, uh, you know, go see, go see Rich, uh, what do you think the patient's going to say? It's like soul, you know. They're, they're, so they're coming just for your listeners, Jeff is a good friend of ours. He's an oral surgeon in that area. So just mm -hmm. just, just, just using that as an example. Right. Um, you know, there's no there's no better referral source than that and they walk in with you know ultimate confidence you know and in, in, you know in the recommendation before you start um so you know that that's really been a, you know a good source uh, nowadays you know we do get some patients from internet social media marketing things like that um we don't make it a big part of what we do but you know we have it in, you know instagram presence and facebook presence and blogging we try to do what we can to keep up with that kind of stuff and you know, the strong reviews we want them to see that now there's a lot of these local moms groups that are out there um you know that that look on there and ask around about uh, about dentists in the area so you know so it has expanded beyond just the patient special sources but i think that's still you know still the far majority of new patients we get in have you uh, uh, have you added any practices have you bought any or any retirees or anything like that yes yes that's the it's, uh, you know, it's funny, I didn't, I didn't make any notes about that, but that's an interesting point. Um, I guess about 10 years ago, a dentist who was about a mile down the road from us, who I knew for a long time in one of our dental study groups, was looking for an exit strategy. Um, it was a medium-sized practice, fee-for-service, great guy, you know, really, really well-liked guy. So um, fee-for-service, so it's compatible. That, that helps tremendously. Compatible, yeah. yeah. Um, his name is uh, Dave Burke. He's retired now. He lives in Florida half the year. And just a super nice guy. Uh, we worked out an arrangement where he moved his practice into our facility. He was in a smaller office. Uh, I think there was only three treatment rooms. It wasn't really something that uh, you know could have been expanded. So um, I had just moved from Plainview to Syosset at that point to the larger you know new office that we're, you know, we're in now. And um, he he moved his practice over and merged in with us. So we had a nice uh, symbiotic relationship for several years. And then as he kind of phased out and moved into retirement phase, I was able to bring on, um, you know, Manny Dimitakis, my partner now, who I met through the hospital residency program, who came on and joined us first as an associate, now a partner in the practice. So, so what, came, what came first? You bought the practice and then Manny came in or, or Manny came Yes, in? because at that, at that point, I, again, I, 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 looking back at my own history, and it's like, right. you know, even though I've met, I've met many residents over the years teaching that were, uh, where, where I thought might, might have been amazing associates or partners for me there was you know a lot of people that i've met over the years but the timing has to be right for the situation because i didn't want to bring somebody on and be in the same boat that i was years before that where i'm sitting around three quarters of the time and uh, and not busy so i felt there had to be another nucleus of patients added to the practice in order to sustain having another dentist coming in with me as a you know associate with potential for partnership so mm -hmm. uh, that's actually the one probably the one biggest um, the thing I get out of out of uh, teaching at the hospital is I have the opportunity to have 
anywhere from one to three year interviews, essentially with with tons of young dentists, which is a an amazing thing. So uh, you know, you get to meet people and see who you hit off with, what kind of talents they have, what kind of personalities they have, how they react with staffing, things like that. You know, and that's that's kind of how I had the opportunity to get Manny to come in with me. I mean, he was so well liked by everybody at the uh, at the hospital program, and I had the opportunity to work with him. Certainly, a lot better than having dinner for somebody for an hour and a half and making a decision based on that. Right. So, but that was, that's kind of how it how it evolved. So he came in with us, uh, you know, Dave, and then as Dave phased out, Manny added time until until Dave was out so, completely. So, Richie, go back to what Bert said to you. P P P. What were the P's? Yeah, prior planning uh, uh, prevents poor performance. Yeah. So if you don't have a plan to increase the size of your practice to bring on an associate that's going to have, right? It's hard to do it, yeah. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, exactly what you did. That's that's the walking, right. living definition of, I'm going to bring somebody in, but I need to get my practice to the point where it's going to be conducive to both of us. Right. And, you know, and those are nice situations that are out there. Still, you know, still keep our eyes open to these things, you know, sure. you know going on even right now because uh, those situations are helpful. And especially, I think, in the environment that's out there now, the relatively smaller practices aren't really what the uh, the big corporations are looking at right now. So, um, you know, so and it's also gets it's costly for young dentists out of school these days with coming out of with huge debt to buy practices day one. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's tough situations both from both ends, from the buying and selling standpoint. OK, so. We're going to wrap up in a few here. So let me ask you a question. I'm a young dentist. I'm interested in having a fee-for-service practice. I'm looking at purchasing one. What are some of the things that they should pay attention to in the purchase process and then in the transition process? Well, I I would say that, you know, you know, it depends what what your financial status is. Also, coming out of you know out of dental school too, there are a, young, a lot of young dentists these days that are half a million dollars or more into debt between yeah, undergraduates yeah. and dental school. You know, you're talking about I mean, we have the advantage of going to a state school, which saved us you know uh, saved us a fair amount of uh, you know of debt situation that we could have been in. Um, you know, plenty of people in that kind of debt, and they can't afford to necessarily spend a lot of money, so they're limited on the size practice they're looking at, at potentially purchasing. Which yeah, you know, I don't think that's the worst thing to start out with a practice that might be doing you know a relatively you know smaller number. It could be doing a five hundred thousand dollar type of a number and still give you a nucleus to start out with and work from there to build from. Um, you know, if it's too small, then I think a lot of these people are looking at the at the insurance plans as ways to generating patients to bring on. And I'm, I'm not going to criticize that because I, I you know I think it's still better to have some people in the chair than having nobody in the chair. But either they have to start slowly and build up the practice from from some point and work in another office as an associate while they do it, um, or if they can afford a slightly larger practice, that's a, a nice way to go too. Or they can come on with somebody else, with like like my situation, and work their way into a partnership. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it these days. Um, but um, you know, one of the things that that, that enlightened me a little bit with when you're comparing a fee for service practice to um, insurance practices or, or when you're doing uh, discounted dentistry is really what's the true cost of what the discount is. And, and that's the part that kind of scared me a little bit when considering some of the, you know, some of the insurance plans for, for the sake of an example, if you're operating on a 60% overhead in a practice and 40% profit, and you're giving a patient a 10% discount, 
you're really not losing 10%. You know, you, you're losing 25% of the profit. Okay, yeah. so in other words, if, if, if something's $100 and it costs you 60 to do and $40 is supposed to be in your pocket, now you're giving 10% off, you're giving 10% off the full number. So you're losing $10, now your profit is, is $30, not $40. So that's a 25% drop in profit. Now, to take that a step further, if you're giving a 20% courtesy, you know, now you're giving 50% of the profits away. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit of an eye-opener. It's simple math, but it's a little bit of an eye-opener. People pointed that out to me, that if you do participate in high-volume and, and lower-fee type of uh, situation, the only way to really survive that way is you have to alter in some way the way you practice. And that was kind of what I was resistant to doing. I didn't want to have to back down and, and, and make some changes in my philosophies and my style to do that. Uh, to make the living so um you know that was just my personal approach and again i'm not going to critique anybody that, that takes takes any uh, plans or discounted fees and you have to make a living and you do what you can to, to make it happen but um you just got to be aware of what you're really doing there's nothing wrong i mean there's nothing wrong it's not a crime to make a nice income by working hard providing excellent care to patients and getting a good fee for that you know it's i don't think it's anything we need to be ashamed of mm-hmm. i agree how about in the transition portion? What are some of the things that you would uh, caution or uh, make a person aware of? So I'm looking at it. I decide I'm going to purchase this practice. What would be your advice to me as I go into this purchase of a practice that's going to become my career now? Well, I mean, what you're really purchasing anytime you purchase a practice on a patient base is an opportunity. There's no guarantees of people staying with you. Nobody can, you don't sign contracts with the numbers of patients that are coming in. So, you know, I always emphasize that you're creating what's the best opportunity with the least risk. You know, I, I kind of use the term transfer risk when I talk to the residents about this stuff. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, it's another whole conversation we could have. But the transfer risk to me is well, where are the patients coming from? And if you buy a practice and patients are traveling or every patient is traveling a half hour or more to come see you, you're not going to get that opportunity to see them in a lot of situations. They're going to find somebody more you know, closer to home with them. So something like that is a big, a big obstacle if that's that's in the way. If it's a more local, locally based demographic. Mm-hmm. Right. The demographic is important. So you want to you want to get the opportunity. Again, what you get, what you're paying for is an opportunity. If you don't get the opportunity, then those people never have a chance to see how great you might be. You know, what a great dentist, what a nice guy. I mean, that, that's all good to say that. But if they don't come in at least once to give you a chance, then you don't have that. So the transfer risk, I think, is a big portion of what's, you know, how when I assess a, a good situation that could, that could happen for somebody. Once they get into your office, it's up to you to kind of impress them in, in whatever way you can. You know, I, I always thought just being yourself and being honest and ethical and doing the best you can was the best approach to it. Um one other anecdote I'll tell you before we kind of wind it down was a situation that I'll never forget from uh, this has to be 20 something years ago when I was going to do some of the local school high school career uh, day programs that they asked us to participate in and plan you. So I went to this program and set up a little dental booth, giving out stuff and talking to any potential students that might be interested in dentistry. And there was a little group that came over, but for some reason they had an older dentist there with me. I don't know why they had two dentists there. So I don't even know who this guy was. But I'll, I'll never forget what he said to these dentists, these young kids, impressionable kids one day. They asked him what, you know, what, what he does to be successful. And what he, what he really told them, which was beyond my, beyond my comprehension, was he says, well, one thing you really need to do is you need to have a nice car and park it in your driveway and it impresses patients to, to think that you're successful. He really said this to high school kids. I was like shocked to hear this. 
So I mean, here I was probably 32 years old at the time, and this guy is probably 60s. I said, well, you know, I said, just if you guys are interested, I have a little bit of a different theory on that. I said, you know, my approach would be I try to do the best I can and be honest and ethical and, and, and work hard and do good work. And I said, hopefully after that, some financial you know, rewards might follow by doing the right thing. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't really give a damn what this guy thought of me, of me saying the opposite of him. But I was so turned off by that comment to young people in high school. That's that. That was his advice to give the young. Wait, kids. wait, wait. You, you didn't run to you didn't run by a brand new Corvette that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I did, I would hide it because I don't, I don't want to show off. You know? <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's funny. There's a there's a there's a doc in town. He's a specialist, and he 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 sort of feels that way. He goes, when they pull up, I want them to see my xyz car and i want them to say oh this guy knows what he's doing he's he's the best he's doing yeah, that yeah. I, I i i couldn't agree with you more man i'm like oh yeah. that's not me at all i'm not comfortable yeah. with that but um you know and, the, and one other thing I'll, I'll tell you is that um you're staying up with you know just keeping up with things these days is it's yep. actually easier than it used to be between the online forums and reading things and technology and you know remaining a fifa service dentist i think is critical and just keeping in touch with too colleagues. much information out there but go yeah ahead. it's a little overload sometimes we're talking to colleagues and you know i'll, I'll tell you sonny because uh, we have such a close relationship you know you've always been one of the one of my closest people that i've respected and, and uh and talked to about situations that come up like like we're talking about now uh, not only a great friend, but, um, you know, honestly, a brilliant guy, but brilliant in a way where you use a common sense approach to dentistry and business aspect of it. You know, it's not always, uh, you know, the fanciest of things. And I respect that because you kind of bring it down to a level that people understand. Um, and it does, it's not not to show off or anything like that. You, you kind of you kind of do it in a way that you know, uh, gains a lot of respect from from me and a lot of people. I see you know your your, your social media posts and and it's just uh, something really to be uh, to be proud of. And uh, you've always been uh, somebody to uh, be there for me with anything I've ever needed uh, from the time that I was buying the practice. When uh, I'll, I'll say this out there, that you offered to help me uh, day one when I. Had to, had to make a down payment on this practice I bought. I'll never forget the fact that you offered to help me out uh, to this day. And um, you've always been there for, for me and, and all of our other good friends over the years. And that's something that uh, I don't take lightly. I really appreciate that. You're a great guy. Thanks, brother. You know, it's it's people, right? It's relationships. It's like, <laughs> it's an investment, but it's like, it just makes sense, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, and you can't forget you can't forget people. Even though we might not be four hours away, we keep in touch, we text and talk on the phone, and see each other whenever we can. And uh, it's something that's uh, very special. Yep. Well, my friend, we're gonna wrap it up. So I got to ask you a final question: If you could go back in time to any place, time, location with anyone, <laughs> where or where where would you go? What year? What time frame? And why? In my in my in my history or anything, <laughs> anything you want to go back and see the pyramids built, do that. Oh, <laughs> Anywhere you want to sit with Ben Franklin on a park bench, talk about flying kites. Go ahead. I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as deep as that. At the day of the day. Well, but, we're gonna uh, find out. But but I could I could tell you I I really love my time in, in Buffalo. I really had a great time, even though we worked our, our butts off and right. We had more, we had more laughs than I could ever remember. Um, you know, again, I met my uh, my beautiful wife Amy with partially help from you and Angela. Uh, I know my wife. To, my wife pushing, sort of pushed that one, pushing me to go to that physical therapy <laughs> meeting that night. So uh, 
So uh, I had an amazing time in dental school. People complain about how, how you know how rough it was, but I that was my first time away from home and met some great people that I keep in touch with to this day. And uh, and I love the time there. So uh, I'm not uh, the type that looks to change too much. I, I'm pretty happy the way things have have gone, and uh, you know I don't complain a lot. So yeah, good, good stuff. Well, there you have it. Well, my friend, thank you. Always a good pleasure to talk to you. Thank you yeah. for sharing with thanks your, for, thanks for our audience. You know, lots of wisdom, lots of life experiences. And, you know, we've had our pathways similar, different, similar, but way more similar than different. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, have a good one, my friend. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Johnny. Always, always great talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.